it's overwhelming when you look at all these things telling you that you have to have a content strategy and personas and again those things are important but really if, if you start with a blog and social media that is the beginning of of your of your storytelling program you're listening to your financial planner now what the podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners their careers and the lives of their clients welcome back for episode 88 with dan martin that's right And I got a chance to sit down with the Dan Martin from FPA's marketing department, and she got a chance to talk with him about all things marketing. If you have questions about blogs, social media, content creation, and more, then this episode is for you. Straight ahead, Dan digs deep to find the real marketing issues that financial planners are facing and how you can solve them. He and Hannah will go over how to set up marketing initiatives that matter to your clients and prospects and the big picture message financial planners need to be communicating. Today's podcast is brought to you by Signature Investors. Signature is a national network of independent advisory firms committed to developing the next generation of financial advisors and creating sustainable businesses to serve clients and their families for years to come. Signature's advisor team model provides a blueprint for establishing a team, including various defined career paths from internships to lead advisor positions. To download this blueprint, visit adviceteams.com forward slash FPA and learn how to start building your team today. Well, thanks for joining us today, Dan. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So I read an article that you posted on the FPA practice management uh, blog, and I think I read it and three weeks later, it was still just rolling around in my head. (laughs) So I really want to get to that. I'll give the listeners a title, the title of it, Financial Planners Stop Making Excuses and Start Marketing. So we'll jump into that a little bit later. But for the listeners, um, can you give them just a little bit about yourself? Kind of what's your role with an FPA? You're more, you, you have a degree in marketing. You're not a financial planner, right? Correct. Yes. Degree in journalism and then uh, uh, master's of business administration and marketing. For your whole career, have you been involved in the financial services profession? I have. Yes. So I graduated from University of Denver in 2006 with a journalism degree. And it turned out that that was not a great time to look for print journalism jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so I grav- gravitated to marketing because I wanted to at least use some of the skill set. Um, and I think, you know, the journalism degree has still been so valuable for me. Um, but I ended up uh, in the insurance world. Um, so the retirement insurance world. And so over the last 11 years, I've had uh, marketing communications roles in uh, many different parts of the financial services world. But I think my favorite and probably the most useful stint was, at least in my early career, was with the broker dealer because it was there that I was finally able to build relationships with financial planners. And we've talked about this a little bit beforehand that I thought meeting all these planners that first of all, I love these people. You know, most of them are nice. They're smart people. They're trying to make a living by helping others, which is just such a wonderful thing. And what struck me was how totally different it was to meet these planners than how um, they're perceived even within their own industry. Um, And so at that point, I kind of made a decision that I wanted to try to change that paradigm and not just because I think it's the right thing to do, but because it's the great, it's a great marketing challenge. You know, the shifting perception is um, that's, that's one of the central tenets of what marketing can do. So right now I'm director of marketing at financial planning association. um, And that's a position where I, I think and hope that I can do some good in terms of, uh, you know, changing the perception to be a little bit closer to reality when it comes to what financial planners can do and the kind of impact that they can make. Let's talk about that discrepancy. Cause I mean, I think we all know that it's there. But I think sometimes we're a little too close to the trees to see the forest. Can you describe what that discrepancy is? Like, what, what's our perception? And then what do you see as the reality? 
Yeah, I think um, the the perception that is out there, and granted, it's not everywhere. You know, I don't want to make too heavy of generalizations, but just that uh, advisors and financial planners, first of all, that that a broker is the same thing as a financial planner, which there's a there's a large, a huge gap between those two different types of things. But also uh, that a financial planner um, or an advisor or a broker is is first a salesperson. They're going to try to sell you a product. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for this, uh, that perception. But, um, you know, part of it is that it's a numbers focused industry. And there's this connection with Wall Street. And, you know, that the perception of Wall Street is, is and in some ways, correctly, um, that, that they're going to try to get as much money out of you as they possibly can, what, regardless of whether or not it's good for you. And uh, granted, you know, there's always, um, you know, uh, every tree has rotten apples. But the most of the planners that I've met are, you know, um, what we were talking about before that uh, they're they're small business owners uh, for the most part. They're people who are trying to help others, and they they believe they really believe that they're trying to they or that they treat their clients like they would treat their family. And so, and something like money is so personal and so central and so emotionally driven that an advisor is um, uh, the numbers piece is sort of implied, but an advisor is there is almost one of your most trusted confidants and. That the difference between the perception and reality of that is is stark and in some ways even shocking. Maybe this is a million dollar question, but from your perspective as a marketer, how do we fix that? Well, I think um, you know one way is, and, and granted, I'll I'll, uh, I'll plug the podcast here. I think what you're doing, uh, what you're doing with this podcast, Hannah, is so wonderful. Um, just because you know, there it's going to take a collective effort. You know, anytime you're trying to. It's like uh, the analogy of turning an aircraft carrier. You know, it's going to take time, and it's and it's not something that anyone can do alone. Uh, it's going to take the collective effort of uh, organizations like FPA, um, other industry focus groups, profession focus groups. But I think you cannot underestimate the impact of of what the change you can make on a personal level for for all financial planners. And I think what this podcast shows is that your contributions do matter. Um, so if individually we all start to uh, change the way we talk to um, pl- clients and prospects about the value of financial planning, and take it, take it outside of the numbers. Every everyone that that lends their voice to the effort is is a step in the right direction. And collectively, if we can all do that together, I think it is possible to change the perception. But I think you know, uh, part of the <laughs> the title you were talking about is we need to stop relying on everyone else to do that for us and saying, well, that's the industry's job. That's that's an association's job. It's really all of our jobs. One of the things that I've struggled with personally, just having my own firm and being um, a solo advisor, is I see these ads on TV. They're doing a great job. And I see all these companies, they have like focus groups that they're paying to really, you know, their marketers are working with focus groups in order to get the best copy and everything on there. And I struggle sometimes with how do we compete? And, and maybe, yeah, how do we compete with that? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think that that's a, well, if you read a lot of um, marketing blogs and things like that, um, you know, there's, there's a chance to get completely overwhelmed and say, oh, well, I don't, I don't have money to uh, do um, a, spend a lot of money on Google AdWords or uh, get into search engine marketing or I don't have SEO or I don't have a big CRM. And those things are, all of those things are helpful and they can certainly, um, you know, help you uh, increase your reach and distribute the content that goes out there. But I, I believe so passionately that the story is what matters the most. And if if you can create your own story from a personal standpoint, um, 
and it's it's a story that's that's true and that that shows both your strengths and and where you're where you're maybe even vulnerable um and then what your vision is you know sort of what you focus on um that that maybe other planners don't i think that there's you know the david and goliath story that there's a way that planners can still compete if if your story is powerful enough you know something like social media has leveled the playing field uh, because a lot of that, you know, some people will say you have to pay to play, which is true from an advertising standpoint. But social media gives you the reach to compete on a level that, um, that frankly, uh, you know, the smaller businesses couldn't before. So uh, I think um, that, yes, uh, you're, you're probably never going to be able to compete on in terms of the total spend. But uh, I think there are ways to level the playing field. So a lot of people talk about story and, and I love that idea. but. How does that actually play out within within like the within a financial planning firm? So one thing, and that's a great question because there's always um, and marketing is uh, you know has this problem just like everything else that there's uh, uh, there's theory and then there's you know implementation. Okay, that sounds great, but how do I do that? Um, and I think something that everyone can do is to start a blog. And I think the term blog scares uh, some people because people think that you have to. Uh, post something every single day or that um, you're going to spend all your time on the blog and then, you know, you have your business to run and you have your clients to meet with. Um, but really, if you have a website, which most planners do, it's really nothing more than a new tab in addition of some buttons. Or you can even launch a standalone site in Squarespace for, you know, a couple of dollars a month. Um, and it's really intuitive to use. Uh, but, you know, so there's compliance regulations, of course, and the content itself. You may have to submit posts for review and that sort of thing, but I think depending on the content, what you have in there, it's um, that can be really a minor hassle. And here's why a blog is is valuable. Um, number one is you know, to build your a social media following, which is the only free marketing basically that you can do besides in person referrals, face to face. You need content, and you know if you look at social media, the vast majority of posts are driving users to something else. You know the the content of the social media itself is sending people back to a blog or a video or a web page. And so the blog is that's that is your story. That if you create a blog and you let's say you do one post a month even to start, you know, that's um and even that could be aggressive, but it's I think everyone has time for one post a month. And you take that directly from your client interactions, you you have all the content that you'll ever need sitting in the chair right across from you. And so if you talk once a month about the, you know, the sort of hot topic of the month and what you did to solve the client's most important problems, and even from your own taking that from your own lens as a planner, then you repurpose and share that that one post on social throughout the month. That that is the foundation of a content strategy. And so, to me, um, it's it's overwhelming when you look at all these uh, things telling you that you have to have a content strategy and personas. And again, those things are important. But really, if if you start with a blog and social media, that that is. The beginning of of your of your storytelling program. One of the things that I'm seeing a lot of advisors do is paying to outsource all of their content. So they pay a writer to pitch them ideas, and then they're writing for their blog. What's your perception of that? Well, I'm I'm biased as a content creator myself, uh, but I think it can pro- it can probably be successful in some capacities. But I'm I'm always of the um, I always fall in the camp of the personal tone is what matters most. So here's an example of that. Um, as you know, if there's like market commentary, for example, like a lot of advisors do like to use market commentary and that's something that's easy to outsource. 
And so there's all manner of companies who are saying, you know, here's here's the newest market commentary, um, and you just put your name on it and send it out. But so let me compare that to when I was working on the blog for um, for the large insurance company that I used to work with. Uh, I had a uh, colleague who's a great writer, and I was always trying to get her to to write something for the blog. Um, and she said, "Well, I don't really have a." She worked in PR, so I don't really have a financial background, a planning background. I don't know what I would have to say, but she eventually, um, we had an international trip that um, uh, to to London to uh, for a conference, and she was going to drop her kids off at her parents' house, uh, and they would not take her kids because she had not written a will um, and testament, and they were, and so she was going with her husband, and so if the worst should happen. They, there was no, there was nothing to say what, what happened to the kids. And so, um, you know, she was shocked by that, but I think, you know, her parents had a point. And so she went through the process of creating a will. And so she wrote this deeply personal post, nothing about, uh, there wasn't, you know, no numbers in it. Um, or, and it wasn't, you know, if, if you want to call it product, it was more just about, this is my personal story about creating a will and why, you know, I can tell you as a person, it's important. It was the single most, uh, viewed, piece we ever had on the blog and it and for for an entire year you know most pieces have a shelf life of a, a month or two and it, what that tells me is that you know a market commentary is something that every plan, uh, planner can speak to yes it fits your skill set but it's they're often so dry and they talk about you know the american consumer you know and people don't want to be the american consumer they want to connect with you on a human level and so i i think that that's a lot of times when you outsource content you lose that personal touch and that is what that that I think is what engages people. A blog is designed to pull uh, users onto your website. From there, you can talk about, you know, the your you can tell your story in the in your about section of your website. But the blog is attracting people to the story to say, this is something that I've felt. Yes, uh, you know, it's it's connecting you to the the reader on a personal level, and there's just no substitute for that. As advisors, we love to pride ourselves on being the experts, <laughs> and so. Um, it sounds like you're kind of, you're advocating to be more of that personal. And it's for a lot of people, that's really vulnerable. And they're afraid that people aren't going to view them as experts, especially listening to this podcast for getting, you know, a lot of younger planners who feel like it's what they have. They have being an expert. What are your thoughts on that? That's one of my favorite topics right now, because it's so, it goes so counter to um, everything that we're taught. We're taught all of our lives, never to show weakness, but that doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about relationships because we all have weakness, uh, weaknesses. And so much of marketing is about building the camaraderie, building the relationship that, and financial planners are excellent at that, you know? And so there's a lot of financial planners I meet with that say, I'm not a marketer. And that's, that's probably true. But I think if you're excellent at building relationships, you have something that, um, that honestly a lot of marketers struggle with. And so I think to start when you're thinking about vulnerability and weakness, Think about the things that every client that you've ever had struggles with financially, because there's there's that laundry list of of topics, and could be saving m- enough money, could be prioritizing college for saving versus retirement, um, any any one of the things, you know, market volatility that's going on right now. That's a great example. Then think about those things that you yourself have struggled with, you know, and so telling um, and, and marketers do this too. Uh, the best marketers, I think. Telling your clients on social media or your blog or whatever medium you choose that you, a financial planning expert, as you say, that you have struggled with something in your own life 
is such a powerful message because it tells the client or prospect that I'm not perfect and I'm opening up this relationship to you to say, listen, this is something that I even struggle with. And so to me, that doesn't make you less of an expert. It makes you more of one. And it's, it tells them, you know, what I think everyone wants is they want to know that it's possible to learn. They want to know that it's possible to get to the, you know, financial planning at the end of the day is about the outcome of, I want to, I want to make sure I can fund this uncertain future. And what you're telling them by, by opening yourself up to that is that it is possible. I, I did it. And so I think that that, that to me is connecting at the human level. A lot of people say that, but financial planners have this amazing opportunity to really do that. That that's really not available to to every profession. Many of the listeners are millennial or on the younger side, and at their firms, they're not working with other millennials. They're working with boomers or you know people who are looking to retire or have retired. Can they still make that personal connection even with the generation difference? Do you think? I think so. I mean, I you know we'd be uh, lying if we said it, w- it wasn't um, a challenge. And I think um, you know in, anyone who's been in a uh, relationship where you know you're um, you're younger and you're and you're uh, you know having to tell someone older, uh, give someone older advice. But I, I do believe that it is um, it is possible, and I think it's finding those commonalities and experience because there are some things like you, and it's it's annoys me to know and the all the things about here's how to deal with millennials and here's how to deal with baby boomers and you know those those things come out every day and yes it gets a lot of clicks because everyone's everyone wants to figure those things out but I believe that we're more similar than we are different um, just you know and that's that's certainly um, up for debate but uh, that that's always what I believed and so I think it, looking for those commonalities of experience and that there are certain things that all of us feel. And so again, it's, you know, that and coming out, coming down from the high level to the personal of it's a lot of, um, you know, in financial planning is a good example. Um, these things that have been historically numbers and data driven are about feelings. And so find those, find those commonalities and connect with, regardless if someone can be 80 years old and, and you can be 22, there, there's some shared experience there. And I think more shared experience than, than not. And, um, making sure that, uh, you know, focusing maybe even on that, on those shared experiences. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like meeting strangers in public and somebody drops their, you know, phone and you help them pick it up. I think those, there, there are those, uh, opportunities for us every single day, um, in all, in all, in every aspect of our lives. But, but as a planner, um, I, I think the age, um, hopefully matters less than, than the shared experience. Mm-hmm. So you talked about your journalism background. I want to touch on the article that you wrote in um, the Journal of Financial Planning that just came out this month. Um, so it's called Using These Behavior Tips to Science Your Clients on Savings. So your background is marketing, and this is more of a behavioral finance piece. Can you talk about what kind of led you to, to write this piece? Definitely, yes. Um, it's something that I've uh, been interested in for quite some time, just um, because so marketing uh, as a as a profession, um, being a marketer, uh, I think was really different 10 or 15 years ago. And um, it's, it, it's gone from kind of the nuts and bolts and sort of, you know, push pull, um, uh, more of this, the, the um, I guess, if you want to call it um, the scientific side of marketing to to more of um, marketing is uh, is more about sort of the human element um, and marketing just in financial planning too. This is which is this great um, you know one of the reasons why I like being a marketer in this industry. This great confluence of both are um, are a lot about 
um, how humans behave, how, how, and how we all perceive things. Um, because, you know, like, uh, for example, in saving, I spent a lot of time, you know, with, in, in the retirement industry, uh, thinking about, so why does, why do we all know that saving is important? Um, you know, if, if you, if you did a survey of everyone and everyone responded, they would all say, I guess saving is important. But then the percentage of people that have actually saved for retirement is, uh, you know, 40% or whatever the, whatever the numbers are. That's, it's just like the perception gap for financial planners is that that, that to me is so interesting. What, why, how, how can we go about something where we know, we know what to do, but then we can't do it. And I think a lot of it comes back to our brains. Um, one of the most interesting things, and I think it, um, you know, this article touches on that is that we, when, when you dream, uh, you can age everyone else in your dream. You know, you have these dreams with all people from all aspects of your life and your brain can age every single other person in there. And your brain is so powerful. So you can look at it and say, uh, you know, um, this, my colleagues in my dream, they're 35 years old, but my brain can make them 70. But if you happen to look in the mirror, you can't age yourself because your brain is so wired to, uh, to live in the short term, which is, you know, an evolutionary, um, response. But that, what, what really struck me and the reason I wrote this article is that that, so your brain is working against you every single day. You know, the, the, the person that you know, 30 years in the future, yourself in the future, that person may as well be a stranger. And so that I think, um, if you read the power of habit, which is a wonderful book, uh, by Charles Duhigg, um, his, he, he gets into habit formation and behavioral science and those sorts of things. And one of the, one of the, the most valuable pieces from that book for me, just because I, um, you know, it's like I said earlier that you, you want to know that it's possible to change. And I, like anybody else, have a lot of bad habits that you look at, you read those book, the book and he says, step one is just even understanding that you have the habit because part of the, part of the brain is being able to remind yourself on a daily basis that this is an area where you're, you have a weakness. Um, even that, um, is a step in the right direction. And so there's this kind of aspirational message of, yes, our brains are, are in some cases working against us, but we can overcome that. And in that, you know, it's, it's a great financial planning message of, you know, that's, um, instead of separating the, the client or the investor, you know, you're the investor, you're the planner and the planner's trying to get through to the, to the client, but, but you're not connecting. The, the financial planner has a, has a wonderful opportunity to, um, help the client understand that, hey, listen, in, in a lot of cases, this may not even really be your fault that you're not doing this. But if we can work on this together, there there is a way to sort of break out of these habits and, and to train your brain. Um, so, you know, long, long-winded answer to a short question, but um, it's, it's just so interesting to me. And um, I'm trying to pick up everything that I can on uh, behavioral science and behavioral economics, uh, just because the brain um, affects so deeply both the, the marketing, the world of marketing, you know, how you how you communicate with uh, prospects and clients and, and the world of financial planning. Well, it's so interesting to me with that crossover. Um, I, I've <laughs> some of my clients have credit card issues. And when I talk to them about that and we, you know, kind of talk about the issues, it's realizing that you know, these credit card companies have marketing teams trying to get people to spend more money on their credit cards. Like it, it's all, it's all these competing forces trying to get our clients to change their behavior. And there's some, some companies and organizations that are, that are doing better than others, but I think it's going to, um, it's going to come down to that in terms of, you know, so my, my most recent post on the practice management blog was about differentiation. And 
I think that's going to that's going to make a difference um, in terms of the 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 people understand that you're really just trying to communicate, connect with people, and and I think you know there's the the hard sell piece of um, you know the credit card companies. I think some of them are good at it, but my my hope and dream is that the hard sell um, will will be phased will be slowly phased out um, in in all areas of of marketing and uh, you know just in, in terms of our lives and all the you know the the millions of advertisements we see every day you know I think um, marketing is specifically and I think financial planning in some capacity is um, you know as we've talked about is it's focused more in some cases on dollars and cents so marketing the question is always like what's the return on investment you know and even even in a small business I mean obviously that's very important if you have money going out you have to have money going in but I think you know uh, to, to the point about the hard sell is if you focus only on immediate returns from your promotions or communications, I think that's that can be extremely short-sighted, and I think it's an outdated way to look at marketing. You know, and uh, small business, big business, it doesn't really matter. I, I subscribe to Jay Baer's theory that smart marketing is about help, not hype. He wrote um, his book Utility, so it's Y O Utility. It's still my favorite marketing book I've ever read, um, and I would encourage every planner and business owner to read and internalize it. Um, it was written in 2012, but it's still so valuable. Um, and it's, it's all these case studies of all these different sized businesses and different products, different services. Part of the point being that, you know, um, if, if you can simplify, uh, what you're doing, um, and instead of trying to sell yourself or sell your business, that, um, you, if you can build the relationship instead and, um, that, that it, it not only drives the uh, you know drives a sort of client for life mentality, but but it also drives the numbers. And so the difference is making the num making the the money secondary, you know. And so when I think about uh, marketing relationships, which you know nothing could be more important in marketing, just imagine how you feel if somebody gave you the hard sell on the benefits and features of being their friend, right? So if you're just in a human relationship, like I think I would hate that, right? Instead, you know, so marketing needs to focus on. I think helping those who may be interested in working with you with no expectation of return. Um, and that's kind of, you know, if you, if you read the book, uh, that's sort of the heretical, you know, it's, it's heretical to the, the common traditional marketing approach. But I have to believe that marketing must focus on telling the truth because it's really about helping others understand who you really are. Um, and I think that's what helps. That's what will help all of us stand out in this, you know, everything is a commodity now. Um, and so if you can do these things, the belief is that your clients will choose you eventually, not because you tricked or you forced them to, but because they want to work with you. And I think that's how you move from a transaction. So a client is already looking for their next planner the second that they step through your door because you're competing on things like price or I have more features than they do or I have this technology that they don't to a relationship, a real relationship where a client who just can't simply, who can't imagine working with anyone else. Um, and obviously, that's easier said than done. Um, but you know, starting with things like the blog that we talked about before, I think it's um, it's such an important shift for the way that we communicate um, with not only with you know clients and prospects, but but just with we, with each other. Because the more the more of us that that start to take this route, uh, the more we're going to really drive overall change. And um, you know, to your point about the credit card companies, change throughout. Um, Industries and professions, which you know, I think just as financial planning, the profession is changing. I think the marketing world is changing too. 
um, and it's uh, you know it's it's driving I I hope and believe to to this sort of model. You've talked a lot about you know what's your story, um, you being vulnerable. What about the person who is has a there's a lead advisor? They're you know want they're on a staff of twenty or so advisors. Is there a way to kind of build out their own marketing story, or or how does that? Are there competing marketing stories within a company, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question, and I think there, um, you know, at least in the organizations I've been in, there absolutely are competing stories. You know, that's um, every uh, marketing department and communications department. You know, you're you're always trying to get to one consistent message, but that's difficult to do. I mean, it 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 is, and so I think it's something that's sort of you're constantly always um, you're always working toward it, but but it's but it's not always going to be perfect. But I do think, um, you know, one thing that's been helpful to me just as, as I've um, gone through my career is uh, focus on building your personal brand as much as you can. Obviously, it's within the compliance and within the regulations. But oftentimes, there's, you know, the, uh, there's the businesses, the practices story. You know, this is who we are. Um, you know, the sort of formula um, that I like to use is sort of uh, the positioning statement. We do X for Y so they can Z. And so that's, um, you know, that, I think that's, that's been out there for quite some time. But you have that uh, vision for the overall practice. But I also think that you can build your personal brand too. You know, uh, Hannah, you're a good example of that. Um, you know, having your, uh, the podcast, of course, is a piece of it. But, um, you know, there's the connection between your, uh, your business and, and your personal. And so I think even if you have advisors above you, you have a lead advisor, or you're, you're just one of many in a business. I think that that shouldn't stop you from building your own personal brand. And again, social media is a way to do that. Um, and it's not just original content. It's, it's social media following is based on what you share too. And so, you know, that's, that can be a pretty easy part of it. Again, you know, within compliance, obviously, but, uh, your personal brand is a share as an advocacy for, or as advocacy for that idea. And so what you share is build up your own personal story on, on social media. Um, I don't, I hope that answers your question, but, I, but I think you can do both. Well, and going back to the title of your first one, stop making excuses and start marketing. <laughs> maybe a little harsh, but <laughs> All right. Well, maybe a little clickbait too, but hey, it worked on me. Yeah. <laughs> so, your second article that you wrote for the practice management blog. So, if anybody is not subscribed to it, it's a really, really good content. Um, I am embarrassed to say I only started subscribing like last year. Um, and I was really missing out. But you talk about to find your differentiate differentiation, focus on your and. Can you talk more about that? Like, can you kind of tease that out a little bit? Definitely, yeah. And um, it's uh, I'm I don't drink a lot of soda now, but um, when I do, I pick up a Coke Zero. Um, even though they changed the formula, it's still uh, delicious. But there's a Coke Zero advertisement. I link to it in my uh, article that. Um, there's a young man and he's shown in a bunch of different situations. Um, like one of them is he has a job, uh, job interview and the, uh, the, the manager offers him the job and he says, you get the job. And he says, and, and then he ends up with, you know, a, a boat or something um, or the same. And he gets an ice cream cone and he says, and, and they put sprinkles on it. And I love that commercial. Um, I think it's Coke has forgotten more about marketing than most of us I think will ever know, but it, um, it, it's a good, I think, analogy for, uh, this this idea of for for so long, um, you know, so much marketing and financial planners are not the only ones who are um, who are guilty of this. So many industries are of 
just listing this long, uh, giving people a long list of like, here's all the many skills, here's all the many things that I can do. Um, and you know, it's ranges from like, uh, you know, minimizing the impact of taxes to, um, just, just a long list of many things that financial planners have skill in. But essentially what we're doing is we're just talking, we're giving them a list of all these things that are implied without really focusing on what's different. And so, you know, the and piece to me is that a lot of the, the greatest companies, the product is almost secondary. The service is almost secondary. Um, you know, it's sort of, this is what we believe in. This is what, this is our mission. This is what we're doing. Um, oh, and by the way, we also, you know, I'm also an expert at financial planning. And so it's, um, the, the end concept really made me think of that as like, what, what makes you as a, as a planner truly different? What sets you apart? Um, and it's often something that's, um, that's more of an emotional driver, you know, and so, so something that, um, you know, and it could be done maybe through testimonials, but I think these are the reasons why, uh, people choose, choose firms in, in most industries as, you know, if, if it's all about the, uh, the price or if it's all about the, the specific product, yes, the product has to be good. Yes, the price has to be, um, you know, affordable. Um, and it has to fit with, you know, the rest of the industry. But I, I think that those things are, are secondary to, um, what, what really makes you unique? Um, and it's, uh, it's not always going to be something that's extremely tangible. You know, I always think about it as great marketing. Um, it can't be asking these, our prospects or the people that we're, we're looking to, uh, to build a relationship with. We can't ask them to sift through the message to find what speaks to them because first of all, they won't do it, but they, it's also that think about how you think about how you shop online. Think about how you shop for anything. Um, you know, this, the, we're in this world of, we look at reviews from our own, uh, from our peers. We're, we're more likely to make a decision based on a review than we are, um, a hundred marketing brochures or websites from that company. And so, uh, we, we should treat our prospects in the same way and show them that the, what we care about the most, um, in the world is solving their most important problem. You know, like what's the reason people are searching for a financial planner is because they, they have a problem. Um, and I think, you know, a true financial planner, um, which is, you know, uh, that's, that is a class in and of itself can, um, can solve those problems. And, and there, but it's, it's finding that differentiator within, the, within that piece, uh, that that's going to make a difference. And to your question earlier about, um, you know, how do you separate yourself, uh, from, you know, and how do you compete with people who are putting all their, this money into marketing? I, I think it's, um, it falls into that category, doing some soul searching about, what, what, why am I different? Do you have any good examples of this? Amazon is a great example. I'm just pulling up the, the site. Um, because it's not, uh, so when they, when they came out with Prime, um, you know, so th- their vision, the, the mission statement of Amazon is to be the Earth's most customer centric company um, and to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. So the first part of that, especially the vision, is, you know, it's not, it's not really about, um, how fast the, the box gets to you. Um, and it's not because that's, that's a great benefit of Prime is then that's the product of Prime, $99 for a year. And this will get to you in two days. And if it doesn't, then you can, you know, um, do what you need to do and they'll, you know, uh, they'll give you credit or whatever it is. But being Earth's most customer centric company is, um, that makes Prime an and. So, and we also get to it to you in two days. But what, like, for example, um, I, I, bought something and some the to- a totally different products uh, arrived from Amazon. And I went on their website and uh, just to file a claim, I had to click one button. And instead of um, the claim even going to, to the third party seller, Amazon just said, here's a credit for the amount 
you know, we basically we trust you that the roots are wrong products. You keep that product and we'll send you a different one. That is being the, being the Earth's most customer centric company. And that sort of thing will make me an Amazon client for life. Uh, I don't, and, and so if my next prime shipment comes in three days, I'm probably not going to complain about it. But that, that's what I mean by differentiating the product itself from who the company really is. Okay. So I'm selfishly trying to figure out how this applies to my company and <laughs> figure out what my like thing is. On your article, you did say that it takes some soul searching. So maybe that's more of where my next steps lie. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and I, you might start with, and, and most marketing, um, great marketing, I think today uh, starts with um, what your customers have to say. Because you know, you, um, it's like any marketer's dilemma um, always is, you know, I, I have access to all this great data and I have, uh, you know, um, I have my marketing experience and then I have the company that I, the organization that I work for, but I could still make a decision that's totally off base for what my customer wants, in this case, the member, um, because I, and I, so I have to take what they have to actually say into account. And so I think, um, you know, surveying current uh, existing clients or <clears throat> taking, excuse me, taking testimonials from, uh, from current and past clients is, um, you'll find, I think, in those, the gems that sort of, this is, um, you know, the, Hannah transformed my life for these reasons. Working for, working with Hannah was um, not what I expected for this reason. Like, those are the types of things that that's how you build your story. And so it's not, you're not selling it based on, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I'll, your, your portfolio will go up 5% or, you know, um, you're, you're not trading on those things. It's more along the lines of like, uh, my client, um, you know, this is a testimonial directly from them that that said, you know, I can't imagine working with anyone else because she changed my life. I had a tough, you know, I, I had a insert life event and Hannah was the first one I called. Like in those things, if I read if I read that type of review, I'm thinking, that's that's what I need. I've had a life event. That's that's what I that's what I would want. And so testimonials are kind of hard, but I mean, with the compliance side of it, but we could. I mean, case studies are a great way to do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and a case study is a is a little bit even more detailed. Yeah. A testimonial is interesting from the um, just from working on the Finra side of things that it's. Um, you know, uh, how they classify testimonials and how compliance looks at testimonials is, is different. But yeah, case study, um, and maybe we wouldn't even want to call it a testimonial, but just um, finding ways to, uh, especially to, to stay away from the product or stay away from guarantees or promissory statements. I think that you, that's, that is still a possibility. You just have to be maybe a little bit creative with it. Let's pretend that I'm writing good, authentic blog content every once or twice every month. Um, I'm, I have my story down. What's the next step from a marketing standpoint? So I'm a content guy. Um, so I always start with content, but I think, so if you have one or two good blog posts a month, you have the foundation of, um, of your strategy. Then the next step is deciding how to distribute that to clients. One way is, um, and, and I think a blog post is in some ways what I would call keystone content. So it's a it's a nice big substantial piece of content that you have, so you can use that in a myriad of different ways. You can put it, uh, you you can probably tweet about it ten to fifteen times a month, just using a different um, lead in or a different quote from the article. Um, you can put it on other social platforms. If you have uh, an older client base, you could print um, the post out. Uh, you know, there's a lot of um, templates online where you can free templates where you can 
find a way to print it, you know, you obviously have to um, get some of these things reviewed. But number one is making sure you get the most value out of, especially since, you know, once, once a piece of content is approved, um, get, get as much possible, squeeze as much juice out of the, um, out of the lemon as you possibly can, um, in, in doing a bunch of different ways. That'll help you build your reach, number one. Um, but you're also not, you're not spending so much time creating content. Uh, and I, I think number two is probably, um, so you'll read a lot about influencer marketing, but, uh, once, once you're able to get this, these types of things out there, um, getting either clients or other planners, um, uh, to help, you know, uh, to help share the content because a share is um, probably the most valuable thing that can happen for you on when it comes to digital marketing, because it's just expands your reach so much. You're accessing every share, you're accessing a totally different network of people. And so sometimes it just takes, uh, it takes time to build that network of, of people who are willing to share your content. Sometimes it's pretty, pretty pro quo. They, um, they want you to share their stuff and which isn't probably isn't a bad thing. Um, if their content's really good. So, um, basically this is all of these are ways to, um, to get this content in front of, um, in front of the most possible people in, in your target market without having to spend a huge amount of money on marketing. You know, we, we at, um, FBA are calling it a free to paid strategy where, you know, you start with what, what you can do for free because there's a lot you can do in marketing now with social media that, that is not that expensive. Um, and I want to say completely free because you could put money toward it, but then move towards, you know, if you want to make a big splash, there's, there are things you can pay for too, but just making the most, making your, every piece of content count, but making your budget count while you're doing it. What is the future of marketing from your perspective? I think the future of marketing is, um, you know, what we talked about uh, in terms of relationships, um, you know, and uh, my, my uh, sort of uh, utopia, marketing utopia is that um, all, all of marketing is, uh, is that helpful, um, being that sort of helpful friend uh, to no, no matter what the, the, product is, no matter what the company is, is that all this information is out there. A lot of it is already, but all of this information is out there um, and available to help people um, try to get as far as they possibly can on their own. Um, and, you know, that's the central tenet of content marketing. You know, we were talking about that earlier that you, um, you give this, you give your content away for free and it's so valuable. People come back and become your clients because they can't, they can't live without you. They can't live without that content. Um, and I think that that's, that's sort of swept to the, that swept the world in a lot of ways, but we're still not quite there. And so, um, you know, then, then you're really, um, I think you're competing on, uh, more of the value that you're providing to the prospect or the client, as opposed to competing on things that, that are transactional. And so, um, you know, I would love to be in a world where no matter where you work as a marketer, Everyone believes that's the, the, the that strategy is more about just being absurdly helpful to everyone. Um, and maybe maybe it's uh, you know maybe it's too much to ask, but um, I, that's that's the kind of marketing world I want to live in. What advice would you have for planners? I, I think number one um, uh, has to be to to try to keep it simple um, in terms of because you know if you live in if you're living in this sort of perception does not meet reality. Uh, world, uh, you know, there's, um, and, and plus you're getting messages every day saying you need this, uh, for your marketing, you need this platform. And, and a lot of marketing now is tech. I mean, it's digital, um, technology, but technology is only as good as the people who are using it. 
And so if you you can buy some fancy great piece of technology and a lot of those people are great salespeople. So you know they they can they'll sell it to you. Um, and a lot of it, as I said, is 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 valuable. But if you don't have your story down, um, and if uh, if you don't really understand who you are um, as a planner, as a practice, and and probably more importantly, who you are not, um, then none of those those platforms probably won't help you. Um, and so you know, to the point of the soul searching is uh, starting by starting simple and sketching out sort of what's my um, you know they, what do they call it uh, you know target target client profile, but even deeper than that, what's, um, who, where can I, where can I make the most impact as a planner? Where, where are my strengths and where are the places where if somebody comes to me, I will probably refer them elsewhere. Um, because I think, you know, there's, especially as small business owners, there's a temptation to try to be all things to all people, but you know, in marketing and in everything that's, um, that often spreads us too thin. And so just sketching out, uh, maybe it's a simple, even piece of paper or word document of, you know, here's, here's, here's our mission as an organization or as a, as a practice. Here's what, um, here's where I feel like I'm, I'm really strong. Here's where I'd like to get stronger. And here are things that maybe I'll refer out. Just understanding that, um, and, and another great marketing to follow is Doug Kessler. Um, and he writes a lot about being, uh, you know, in, insane, having insane honesty in your marketing. And it's very much that concept of, you know, that you're not, you're not going to please everyone. But if, if you, if you can get to the point to have the courage and and uh, you know the obviously the the financial ability to um, to bring on the clients that um, that fit that are the type of that fit your values that fit your um, that fit your business and and to sort of ignore the other ones um, you know that's that's I think where uh, where you want to get to obviously easier said than done but um, start, starting simple and starting small um, and then working out from there, uh, not trying to bite off more than you can chew would probably be my number one piece of advice. I struggle with not biting off more than I can chew. Uh, me too. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to be sure that we hit on? Um, I, I think a couple of, uh, I like to um, end a lot of my posts with, and, and it's, uh, well, it's not probably cheesy. It is cheesy, but I still um, like to make two points about um, marketing that, you know, again, like it's like any industry, you'll get a, you know, top five, here's five things to do to enhance your marketing or, and a lot of times they're sort of um, how to make them, you know, sort of spit shine it and polish it. Nothing wrong with polish, but I think number one, just um, making sure that your passion is is available and out there in terms of your tone is so important because it's better to be, you know, if, if we've all seen it, you know, where um, and I, I don't know if this is even, um, if this is even possible, but yeah, I've heard people say like that person's too passionate. They're, they're over the top, but I think it's better to be too passionate than to look like you don't care to look, you know, um, I think we're in this business, especially where we're kind of pushed towards, you know, you want to be dry and you want to be, um, everything needs to be clean and professional and have the same stock photos of the same people, uh, you know, having a serious conversation, but I have to believe that it's it's better to go overboard on the passion piece because that's that's the that's who people want to work with a lot in a lot of cases is they want to know that you like your job that you love your job and so don't don't be afraid to to uh, inject a little bit of passion into your content um, because I think it'll make a difference and then the last piece is have fun with your marketing because you know we've talked a lot about the personal aspects and the tone of, of what you put out there and. Um, how you perceive yourself, it's easy to perceive yourself in one way and then to show up in a totally different way. Um, just because, you know, that's, and that's why marketing is, is difficult. 
But I think your enjoyment in telling and showing your story um, is contagious. I think, you know, again, with the passion piece, if you love how much, if you love what you do, um, you're, how much fun you're having in, in telling people about it should be readily apparent. And so don't, uh, I have a, a poster that I give my desk where like, don't, don't forget to have fun doing it because that, that shows, I think more than anything. Today's podcast is brought to you by Signature Investors. Signature is a national network of independent advisory firms committed to developing the next generation of financial advisors and creating sustainable businesses to serve clients and their families for years to come. Signature's advisor team model provides a blueprint for establishing a team, including various defined career paths from internships to lead advisor positions. To download this blueprint, visit adviceteams.com forward slash FPA and learn how to start building your team today. As always, thanks ever so much to our guest, Dan Martin, and to you, our listeners, for being with us today. If you want to be a part of great conversations just like these, be sure to join the FBA Activate community on Facebook. It's a closed group that's open to all financial planning professionals, from students to firm owners, professors, and board members. You'll find them there where you too can lend your voice. FPA membership is not required. Thanks for listening. 